Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. So nice to be with you in this Easter season. Uh, today, for us anyway, is Monday of Easter, and we are looking forward to beginning a series that I think, Francis, is very timely, and I'll give some of the backdrop as to how we... Um, uh, came by this topic, uh, I think accidentally and independently, but nonetheless with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But first, how are you today? How was your Easter? <laughs> Blessed. Holy. Um, I'm happy. <laughs> we had a beautiful day, too, and so I uh, was rejoicing. Hallelujah. <laughs> what a wonderful Easter. I mean, for us here in the Ohio uh, area, it was just gorgeous. 76 degrees, sunshine all day, gentle breezes. Uh, it was really just, uh, someone said to me today, in a, a doctor's office, actually, it was uh, at an appointment, and they said, this is the nicest Easter I can remember in years. And Isn't I have it to great? Agree. And, you know, and we can thank God for that. You know, it, I think it did lift the hearts and the spirits to the Lord in a very special way, and we needed that. Boost. We did need that. Well, on this topic, which um, I think we agreed just before we came on, we're going to uh, initiate this evening, but likely continue. The topic is mercy. And I said I thought it was particularly pertinent, and I find it interesting, Francis, you're the one who really identified this topic, but I shared with you just before we came on, the Pope's first full-length book is out today, ah, and that book called? is entitled <laughs> A Church of Mercy, uh, and he reflects on uh, the gift of mercy. Of course, he talks about evangelization as well, a key theme for the Holy Father. But the centerpiece of his message, and I've only been able to review it online, um, I, I do have a copy in, inbound from um, uh, the store that I purchased it from, and uh, um, what I was able to glean from my searches on the Internet, this theme of mercy resonates throughout the entire book. And I thought it interesting that you had identified that very topic for our conversation both today and I suspect now for a couple of weeks yet. Well, you know why I was thinking that mercy would be a good topic for tonight was because Divine Mercy Sunday is coming up um, next week. And on that day, um, we're having this historic canonization of two popes, um, Pope John Paul II and Pope John Twenty-Third. So um, I thought, oh, well, we've got to we got to front this event. <laughs> and I'm sure that we'll probably have some uh, uh, kind of commentary after the event because it's going to be such a, a great event in the church. It will be. Two very well-known popes, two fairly recent popes. Many people, of course, will have memories of John Paul II, and uh, even some will remember uh, John the Twenty-Third. I certainly don't personally remember him, but I've studied him. I've read his journal. I know a good deal about him. Um, the Italians referred to him as the good pope. Uh, he was a man also noted for this message of mercy. I want to give one other connection, which I think is very interesting. Uh, there is another book that is available now in English, uh, just recently available in English, and the book is titled simply Mercy. It was written by a German theologian named Walter Casper. He's actually a cardinal. With a K, right? K -A uh, with a K, that's correct. P -E -R. And um, he was actually one of the teachers at one point, I believe, of the Holy Father, who studied in Germany for a time. Uh, I say that because the Holy Father made reference to this book in its original German edition uh, and the great influence that it had on him. And he makes that acknowledgement in now the English 
uh, version of this book, which was recently released, uh, the Holy Father is noted as saying uh, that he got so much out of this book, which tempered his own thinking and his own theology on this virtue, this gift of mercy uh, from our Lord. So lots of interesting connections. We have a great German theologian who, by the way, our former Pope, uh, Benedict XVI, also had a great appreciation, uh, has a great appreciation for Cardinal Casper. Uh, so Cardinal Casper, we have the current Holy Father writing about mercy. We have John Paul II and, of course, John the Twenty-Third. And John Paul II, of course, instituted the Divine Mercy Sunday um, officially in the church yeah. uh, because of St. Faustina, and um, he canonized St. Faustina. And, of course, John the Twenty-Third was known as the one who convened the uh, Second Vatican Council. So yeah. a lot of good stuff. And, and it, the bit of um, information I was able to glean, I also ordered the book Mercy. <laughs> I'm uh, going to have to order all these call. things. I bet our listeners should order them, too, because we're going to be talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, Cardinal Casper's book is, um, from what I was able to get from uh, my brief search of it, really terrific. And he mentions, of course, John Paul II's instituting uh, divine mercy. He talks about his visit to the place where... Uh, St. Faustina was um, in, in a convent and the great impact that it had on his, his life and his papacy. Uh, and, of course, the um, uh, fact that he brought that teaching uh, to the fore when he was the, the Holy Father. So a lot of emphasis on mercy. So maybe our uh, listeners might be questioning, Francis, what's this emphasis on mercy? Yeah, we know we have a merciful God. Well, well, let's start with prayer first, and then let's yeah. get into oh, our I'm discussion. Sorry. You're right. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I have <laughs> I picked a, a really good prayer. It's from day one of the novena to the divine mercy that Saint Faustina received. So let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Eternal Father, turn your merciful gaze upon all mankind, and especially upon poor sinners all enfolded in the most compassionate heart of Jesus. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, show us your mercy that we may praise the omnipotence of your mercy forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Francis, you start off um, in our conversation with reference to some things that are going on right now, and in fact, the Holy Father himself making... Uh, acknowledgement. I'll let you tell that story of this well, gift I, of mercy. I'm thinking that this came from the um, Good Friday uh, Way of the Cross, um, where standing atop a hillside overlooking Rome's Colosseum, Pope Francis told thousands of people who were gathered with him in prayer that Jesus shows that evil will not have the last word. And love, mercy, and forgiveness will be victorious. I mean, he said it so plainly, and I, I just thought, oh, yes, this is perfect to start our topic tonight. Love, mercy, and forgiveness will be victorious. And then he goes on to say, and I quote, From the cross we see the monstrosity of mankind when it lets itself be guided by evil. Now just picture that in your mind. And I remember one time at a Carmelite meeting, you're talking about, you know, Christ being crucified on the cross and, and the wounds that we see, all the, the gashing and everything, that that was the physical manifestation of our spiritual, uh, woundedness, our, our sins. And it struck me so deeply, um, because I, I mean, I've heard this over and over, but just the way you said it just made me see it in, in a new perspective. So 
you know, when we think of this, the monstrosity of mankind guided by evil, that produces a crucified Christ, a crucified God. Now, he goes on to say, but but we also see the immensity of the mercy of God who doesn't treat us according to our sins, but according to his mercy. And and I remember reading in a commentary just recently about, you know, there at the foot of the cross, you had people in the crowd say, well, if you're God's son or you're God, come down, bring yourself down from that cross, you know. And, you know, nothing was done. Silence. But Christ did he gave them a greater sign. He resurrected from the dead. I'm like, what do you say to that? <laughs> he stayed on the cross and he finished the, the mission that the Father had sent him to complete. And then, of course, is, is resurrected, as you say. But this last line, I think, is so important. God, who does not treat us according to our sins, but according to his mercy. Yes. We can reach a, a mindset of fatality almost about the circumstances that we see around us in the world. And I know um, many people turn to this, uh, this radio station, not just this program, but so many others, for some uh, sense of consolation and peace and meaning, perhaps, in what they see around them. There is a lot of devastation in our world. There's a lot of pain in our world. There's a lot of uh, hurt. Despair. Um, and, and it sinks into despair, ultimately. Cardinal Casper says this in his book, that ultimately, if we do not accept the existence of a merciful God, we're left at the hands of all the evil that is in the world. If there's no um, uh, justice, if there isn't compassion, if there isn't ultimately a God of mercy that redeems all of this, then it would have to lead us to despair. And I, and I think the word redeems is huge. Redeems it, not just puts up with it or uh, takes it on himself, but redeems it. So it brings hope out of the yuck. Yeah, he actually makes reference to Romano Gardini, who you may know his writings. Yes. Um, very highly respected theologian in in uh, in the church and an author, and, and even he uh, quotes uh, Gardini. And I won't do it word for word, but essentially saying uh, Gardini now, when he's saying, um, reflecting on his own uh, eventual death, says, "You know, I will have a few questions for God. I want to know why did it have to go this way." And Casper uh, answers that question actually in the introductory material of the book by saying, "If there weren't a merciful God." If mercy was not a gift, if salvation was in fact not a gift available to us, um, we'd be right in in sinking into the depths of despair mm -hmm. because it would mean that evil really does conquer in our world. That strength and and uh, deviousness and cruelty actually do overcome everything around them uh, and and dominate in a world. And we see this uh, dominate in a world that otherwise. Uh, would be without justice. But of course, that's not the truth. That's right. not the message. There yeah. is a resurrection. Yes, praise God. There Hallelujah. Is a merciful he God. is risen. And so all of the, the trial and the difficulty and the, the uh, moments of, of uh, desperation in our life have to find resolution in the fact that God does in fact redeem it all, that we, we serve a merciful God. And so often I think, Francis, we fall into a trap of, as you say in this quote, believing in a God who we perceive and we design and we create, and then we sort of set the rules. Not that we're demanding things of him and get frustrated when he doesn't deliver that. That's true in some cases as well. But we sort of view God as, um, you know, uh, this, this, a character that we've created. And of course, 
what he says and what he does through all of his actions is simply demonstrate, no, I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of love. And I will always take you back. I will always love you. I will always embrace you. I won't allow you to minimize your own experience of life uh, by responding to uh, these requests that I step down off the cross or um, that, you know, at times I, I eliminate all the obstacles on the path to your coming to understand me. But he always says, this is a an experience uh, ultimately of salvation and one where you will experience mercy and yes. forgiveness. And, you know, so he doesn't like the sin. I mean, how could he like sin? Sin disfigures our souls, but he loves the sinner. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how we can see God's mercy in a um, in, in a fuller light, because, you know, the way people look at God today, um, I just saw a little TV blurb uh, just the other day. And, you know, they were asking people, you know, who's Jesus? And the way they responded just was, oh, my gosh, how ignorant, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, thinking he's it, fictional it, or it, it, ignorant. I know you mean that in, in the spiritual sense. Right? Yes, yes. There are blinders that have fallen over so many people, even faithful Christians, there are blinders that have fallen over our eyes. You know, Christ says um, we have to remove these uh, these logs from our own eyes before we can help yeah. our brother and sister. So many of us uh, stumble through life in darkness. It, this is a spiritual blindness. This is a, a, a an ignorance of of our spiritual understanding of our relationship with God. Doesn't mean that we're not intelligent individuals or we don't have um, um, you know an academic background or what have you. But but sometimes the most gifted intellectuals among us can be the most blinded to these simple truths. And I confess I was very blinded. I I had to live through all of this and figure this out and ponder it. And it's only by the mercy of God that today I can see more clearly than I did, you know, 30 years ago. So um, I thank God for that great mercy on me. And so, you know, uh, we really need to relate to God and and know who he is. He's, he's not a mean, judgmental God that wants to punish us. No. And and he's not one that's impersonal. He, he is interested in each one of us individually. And he's in our lives individually. And the reason why we don't believe that. Um, is because we're not looking for him. <laughs> we're, we're not, uh, pondering where is God acting in my life? We don't sit back and think about it. Um, people are so caught up with their day to day events. They, they're, they're just not thinking about God. You said in the, um, the interviews that you saw over the weekend, it's fascinating. At this time of year, we always seem to get these, don't we? You yes. know, the man on the street, what do you think of God? What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of the resurrection? And, yeah. uh, it, it's sometimes very discouraging to hear some of the responses, but you suggest that there's almost a, a checklist of uh, personalities that we've projected onto God. What were some of those responses? Well, some people want to obtain sanctity through their own strength, by their own efforts, uh, by the amount of prayers, the quantity, <laughs> not the quality, forget that, it's just the quantity, um, or, you know, uh, heroic penances. But, you know, where's the love? Um, these are the self-sufficient types, or or there's the bargaining type. Oh, your Lord, if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. Um, um, you know, a, a dit for dat, 
tit for tat type of thing. Or, you know, people who are obsessed with trying to prove they're worthy to God or to do great things for him, build great shrines. Um, but, you know, where's the love? It's got to be love. And, you know, there's other people that think of God's grace like, you know, the merit raise. <laughs> you want to get a pay raise? You want to get a merit raise? Or, or with the grace grabbers, you know? Um, or some people equate holiness with, oh, just try harder. I mean, it's all about love. <laughs> Let's love better. <laughs> and the single fallacy of all of those projections that we create for the personality of God is ultimately his action becomes dependent on our action. Yes. And that's fundamentally wrong. Our response. Yeah. yeah. It is not uh, uh, you know, a situation where we're trying to impress God, we're trying to manipulate God. Certainly that's not the case. Uh, where we're trying to affect the outcome. The outcome has been determined. We simply have to accept it. Uh, we have to accept in all humility that we are dependent creatures. And when we do that, when we acknowledge our weakness, and we can find examples of our weakness every day in our yes. life, right? Our shortcomings with our, with our, uh, you know, patience or, uh, with desire for things, our passions overcome us. Impatience. We, we have sharp words. Yeah, so anger, many examples of it. Road rage. <laughs> when we see these things manifest in our behavior day in and day out, we ultimately have to acknowledge our complete dependence on the God who can help transform us, but also on a God of mercy who says, yes, I know you're flawed. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who created you. I know what your Going through. Uh, shortfalls <laughs> yeah. are. Um, at the same time, he is a God who wants us to participate with him in this transformation. Yes. I mean, if he just wanted uh, robots, he could have created robots yeah. and he could have commanded our love. Um, but then it, it wouldn't be love. It wouldn't be love because right. love is, is freely given. Exactly. True love is freely given. So. so we're left with this other challenge, though, Francis. Why are we subject to so many pitfalls, so much struggle, so much trial? Well, you know, I heard a, a, a critic of, of our faith the other day making comments about um, not understanding how it is that we could be created by a loving God who then commands that we be, you know, good, uh, i.e. the commandments. <laughs> and I said it's, it stems from a fundamental misunderstanding of the idea of spiritual maturity. Yes. And God gives us so many material examples of what he's trying to teach us in the spiritual world. You know, when you give birth to a child as parents uh, and you begin to bring that child up in the world, you do place commands and on their behavior. Boundaries, the boundaries. You know yeah. why? Why we put boundaries? Why we put up fences so they don't go up the stairs and hurt themselves? Because we want them to be safe. We want them right. to be happy. We want them to grow. So, you know, those Ten Commandments, those aren't, you know, you you must do this um, because I tell you. No, it's you must do this for your own good. <laughs> right. They are our freedom. They are what leads us to the ability to choose yeah. freely to love as we begin to mature. Yeah, so God isn't commanding this of us. He's providing us sort of the, you know, I've used the phrase before, the bumper guards on the, mm -hmm. uh, on the bowling alley to keep us protected until he can slowly develop us into... Uh, spiritually mature, let's say, teenagers, where we then begin to be able to make some of our own decisions 
And still, he's not going to always give us the keys to the car, but, you know, we get some freedom. And then eventually, for those who move into this process, and unfortunately, we can find uh, some folks uh, of very advanced years who are still living spiritual childhood. And I don't mean in the positive sense that Therese taught us, but spiritually, they haven't really matured. And yet, they believe that they're given license to make decisions for themselves about everything. And unfortunately, in many cases... Um, they are and they make bad decisions, not because of, um, you know, God's commanding certain things, but because they have not matured into a relationship with God that they can make decisions now that are consistent with the freedom that they've been granted. Yeah, and when we take God out of the equation, we take his his power, his insight, his love, it's all, it's all out of the equation. Then we're left with just our human limitedness. And so, uh, geez, that's a mess. <laughs> so uh, we thank God that he's here. But, you know, I have a story about St. Therese and a perspective about God. It was um, during um, Therese's life, and I'm talking about the little flower, uh, when she was at the convent. And this was the perspective of, of many people in France at the time, uh, there was a, a serious problem with Jansenism. And, and just briefly, Jansenism. Um, seeing God uh, as a, a, a more of a punishing God, wanting to redeem him, uh, be, he, he was a God of justice. Uh, the emphasis on justice. Yeah. yeah, there was more severity and justice. The, con- mm-hmm. uh, the concern was justice. A lot of focus on the punishment side. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So here comes Therese and, you know. She's just so wonderful, and she's going to just shoot it all down with mercy. And so <clears throat> Therese is talking to one of the nuns there, Sister Fabroni, and Sister Fabroni thought that St. Therese overemphasized God's mercy and forgot his justice. And they debated back and forth in a friendly way, uh, but... Uh, Therese did record this conversation, much to Sister Fabroni's um, dismay, I'm sure, but but to her education and enlightenment, I'm sure. So Sister Fabroni's not listening to St. Therese's reason. And so St. Therese finally says to her, Sister, you want the justice of God, and so you will have the justice of God, for the soul receives from God exactly what it expects. Wow. And I think that's true. Now, I said a moment ago, we can't manipulate God, but God will respond to us uh, sort of in our best interest in the way that we uh, act. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we're constantly, uh, you know, living under this mindset that God is is, um, uh, you know, justice and he's about punishment and restriction and all the rest and of it. rules and regulations, we will begin to see the events of our life in exactly that way. That's mm-hmm. the reality of the situation. It's not that God's doing these things, but we will take what happens to us in our life and we'll put it in the context of this projection that we have of God. And we'll see the negative things as God punishing us and God restricting us and is limiting us. If we accept Therese's contention, and oh, by the way, John Paul II and Faustina and John the Twenty-Third and our current Holy Father, that God is a God of love. Oh, by the way, a scriptural verse. Yeah, John, one John four eight. God and, is love, <laughs> and He's a God of mercy. We begin to see the events in our life not in this context of judgmental and punishment, but rather we begin to see God working in a in a uh, loving way administering mercy to us in the way that is most beneficial for us in all the circumstances of our life. So here you have Therese, doctor of the church, by the way, who says and teaches us to love the love 
that is mercy. So we should expect to be loved. You know, that's what a child looks to their parents for, for love. And, you know, children dependent on the parents to, to take care of them. And, you know, the parents, in a sense, are being enslaved because now they have to take care of the baby. They have to feed the baby. They have to change the diaper of the baby. And yet um, the baby has this way of pulling the love of the parent right out of their hearts, you know. And God the Father is that to us um, by looking at us and seeing our helplessness and our need, you know, and he wants to help us. Um we are the one who are rejecting God's action in our life because we're putting limitations on him. So when we can open up and see God as he is, as merciful love, then we will be so much more happy, more joyful, more free. Well, we're going to take a break, Francis. And when we come back, I want to work a little bit on this idea of the definition of mercy. What do we mean when we talk about mercy? And then what is our role? What's our responsibility? If we're made in God's image, as Scripture tells us, what then becomes our responsibility in terms of understanding how it should change our behavior in our life? A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back.
to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We're on the topic um, today and we'll be on, I suspect, Francis, for at least a couple weeks, um, maybe with a break in between, but um, a very uh, appropriate topic for right now. It's the topic of mercy, uh, the mercy of the Lord. And I'll tell you the message I think that most resonates for me uh, through this uh, series of writings that we've sort of gathered from a number of sources um, is the idea that we all need to step back just a moment, take a breath, and realize that our day-to-day events and circumstances um, are not uh, overwhelming, that they should not uh, cripple us in terms of our uh, response to them. We should uh, recognize that we are in the hands of a merciful God who's watching over everything that happens to us, who acknowledges our own weaknesses and sinfulness. And if we only will seek his mercy, that we will find a peace and a consolation in our everyday life that will go beyond anything that this world could offer us. And that may sound um, uh, somewhat uh, a typical of the message you hear in the Christian uh, ethos of, uh, uh, of a, a compassionate, merciful God. But it's a message that has to be lived, and it can only be lived when we throw ourselves into the hands of a merciful God. And as the Holy Father makes clear, a world without mercy and forgiveness then becomes a world of cold, unfeeling justice. And then you have, you know, selfishness corrupting the society, and it's the system of the, the powerful versus the weak, the uh, oppression of the the little ones, uh, you, you're getting this unending strife. Um, so we need mercy because when mercy reigns, then you have compassion and pity and generosity and tender heartedness. So, you know, when's the last time you experienced that in your own life? Compassion, pity, generosity, and tender heartedness. And when you have experienced this, say tender heartedness, wasn't that good? Didn't that feel great? And didn't you want to be tender to others because of that? So, you know, let's, let's be part of the, the good here and, um, bring mercy, uh, not just as a concept, but as a living reality in our day-to-day life. You know, this struggle you talk about, Francis, the the idea of uh, selfishness and greed and, and corruption and uh, all of these, um, you know, manifestations of evil, they are resident in the human heart. 
that struggle is an interior struggle for the individual themselves. Yes. If we struggle, and we all do, yes. from day to day, from hour to hour, we all have questions about our faith. We all have, uh, you know, uh, uh, trials that we go through. When we say, "God, where are you? You know, why are you allowing this? What, what's the, what's the, uh, you know, grand plan behind this trial that I'm going through?" That struggle of the human heart results in the very struggle that manifests itself in society, where evil is struggling with good. It's true for us as individuals. And the degree to which we accept the reality of an all-merciful, all-loving God is the degree to which we will find that interior peace, that sense of um, everything is all right with the world, even in the midst of our most difficult uh, experiences. If I know that there is a living God of mercy and love, Everything seems to make sense. Everything is brought back into order. And, and, you know, I think about, you said the word temptations, and I think about how, you know, the joke was that, well, you know, Satan uh, wants you to um, think that he's not for real. <laughs> well, he also doesn't want you to think God's not for real. Because on one hand, if you don't think evil, if the demon is, is you know, not for real, then you won't attribute him and you won't, detect his action in your life you'll you know forget about it you have no defense against right, him if you don't right know yeah you you don't uh, hold hold that out there is a uh, possibilities but you know if he succeeds in in convincing you that god's not real then guess who's got you by the tail <laughs> who's got you in his claws so you, you know bottom line god is for real <laughs> Only the love that is mercy, you say here, Francis, in the notes that we're sharing, is capable of restoring men and women to themselves. I think that's such an important line. We are people of love and people of mercy. We are created in God's image. It's what we are called to be. It's what we were called to in our baptism. We are strengthened for it in our confirmation, and we are called to a life of love and mercy to our neighbors. And the degree to which we live out that call is the degree to which we begin to be that sign of hope in the world, and we bring Christ into the world. We have to be a people of faith, a people who believe in a God of love and mercy, and we have to experience that. We can't just intellectualize these things. You know, so often I, I grow concerned uh, that we sit, and of course you and I do a fair amount of reading, and we talk about it, and we share it, uh, but this cannot be an intellectual concept. This can't be something that rests in our mind. If it doesn't change our heart, if it doesn't sink deep into the interior of our individual experience in relationship with God, then it doesn't change us. It doesn't transform us. That's where this has to go. An understanding that God is all merciful, all loving, that everything that is happening is dependent not on our actions, as Francis said earlier in the program, but on God and his promise. And when we stop fighting with that promise and we accept it, then we will begin to find this peace, this interior peace. And the exterior trials and struggles will only drive us further into that deep interior consolation of the living God. Yeah, and you know, mercy is really a, a good word to describe our relationship with God. Because, you know, who are we? We're, we're created by God. So who are we to think that we can have this relationship with God? Well, we know because he created us and he loves us. And because he loves us, we can love him in return. So it's his merciful stooping down to our humanity to, to lift us up that we can participate in his life of love amongst our each other. And so, you know, this 
mercy is our friendship with God, and it's also our friendship with others. And so his loving mercy to us is also our loving mercy to those around us. You know, my wife has read a quote to me in the last uh, week or so, twice on two separate occasions, from two separate sources, which she both... Uh, she and I both uh, agreed, men, it was something we were supposed to listen to, and it talks about humility. Humility is first accepting our dependence on God, yes, and then it is accepting our own weakness and failing and sinfulness and God's mercy which overcomes that. Right. You know, we struggle, I think, especially for those who have made some effort on their Christian journey to try and uh, work through uh, a bit of this transformation, and we try to bring our passions into order, we try to live the virtues, we try to uh, practice our devotions and so forth, and uh, inevitably we're going to fail at that, and we're going to uh, even fall victim to our own sinful nature on occasion. Humility says, I accept that I'm fallen, I accept that I'm weak, I accept that I will make these mistakes, but I also accept that I serve a God who will always take me back, who will always grant his forgiveness, who will always, if I ask for it, who will always bring me back into the embrace of his loving arms. Who will always help us if we just but look his way. And if we can really come to believe that in the depths of our heart, we can experience that peace, this peace that the Lord says the world cannot give. There is no peace in arranging the circumstances of our life and getting our mm-hmm. bank accounts full and getting our relationships right and getting our job right and getting our, you know, material circumstances, even our psychological balance right, getting all that perfect will never ultimately bring us peace. The only thing that will bring us peace is the realization that we serve a merciful and loving God who keeps us always under his eye and is always planning for our best, and, even in the most difficult circumstances. And the only thing that fills our soul is love and god is love so our souls need to be filled with god but our sins cover our souls and therefore blind us from god and keep us from looking at him and you were talking about humility and i'm thinking of Teresa Vavla, who said humility is truth and in truth we know that we are that sinful nature and yet we are loved and so we look to our merciful compassionate god the creator the savior the sanctifier we look to him and we know um, we are his sons and daughters. You know, I, I took a few moments to just look up the term mercy in the Webster's Dictionary and I've got some definitions here I thought I'd throw out and then get into um, something of what um, Father Gabriel of Mary St. Mary Magdalene said in his book Divine Intimacy which is one of my favorite books because um, I think he, he really captured a lot um, talking about God's mercy. But definitions are Kind or forgiving treatment of someone who could be treated harshly. Um, Kindness or help given to people who are in a very bad or desperate situation. Compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. A blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. And compassionate treatment of those in distress. Works of mercy among the poor. So wide range of mercy. Yeah, and I agree. Divine intimacy by Father Gabriel for uh, those who are um, 
part of the Carmelite Order, of course, you're often exposed to this. It's a wonderful series, either in a single volume or sometimes in a four-volume set, uh, daily readings throughout the course of the year, wonderful reflections by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. And he has some very powerful things to say about mercy, and here's one of them. God's love for us assumes a very special character, one that is adapted to our nature as frail, weak creatures, the character of mercy. Mercy is love bending over misery to relieve it, to redeem it, to raise it up to itself. Oh, repeat that sentence. Mercy is love bending over misery to relieve it, to redeem it, to raise it up to itself. And you know, this brings us right back, Francis, to the idea that was mentioned earlier. Only uh, love and mercy is capable of restoring men and women to themselves, to who we really are. That's who we are. The dignity of our soul. Yes. Exactly. And Father Gabriel is emphasizing that point. To the degree, and I said this a moment ago, to the degree that we uh, sort of lose that interior struggle in the day or hour uh, that we engage it, and we fall back on our own nature. You know, human nature um, has a tendency to fall back to what it's comfortable with and what it feels uh, grounded in and what it feels that it can control. And so when we struggle and we begin to lose our a perspective on a merciful God. And we start projecting onto God our own images that Francis talked about earlier, the judge, the, 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 the great, uh, a dictator and so forth. Uh, then we inevitably will come back to what we think will provide us protection and, and, and comfort in the midst of that struggle. And we'll fail, of course. What we are called to is this intimate, loving relationship. We talked about growing from childhood spiritual childhood into a more mature and adult uh, form of spirituality where God becomes not uh, just parent, not just that observer uh, individual (laughs) who sets boundaries, but he becomes someone who wants to intimately engage with us, right? This happens to all of us who are raising children. We reach a point where as young adults, now we want to engage them in conversation. We want them to know a little bit more about who we really are. We're not just there to sort of set the, the, Uh, guidelines any longer, but we want to engage them in a conversation. It's exactly the same way with our loving Father. He wants to begin to reveal himself to us. He wants us to know better who we are, and then he wants to heal and redeem all of that deficiency. And this is best best done through prayer. You know, as St. Teresa of Avila says, uh, uh, prayer is an intimate, a frequent intimate conversation with him whom we know Loves us. I just love that definition. But anyway, Father Gabriel goes even further, and I want you to to hear this about how God is attracted by our weakness. Father Gabriel says, It almost seems that God, in loving us, is attracted by our weakness, not because it is lovable, but because being infinite goodness, his compassion stoops to compensate for it by his mercy. I like that. His compassion stoops to compensate for it by his mercy. He wants to heal our imperfection by his infinite perfection, our impurity by his purity, our ignorance by his wisdom, and our selfishness by his goodness, our weakness by his strength. God, the supreme eternal good, wants to be the remedy of all our ills. So, you know, any problems we have, go to God. You know, he's got the answer. He can help us. Because from Psalm 102:14, we say, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are but dust. 
Mercy is God's love, which gives us much more than we need, much more than we are due. That's the other aspect of mercy. It goes beyond even the need that's asked for. And, you know, I'll have this question for for all of our listeners. I um, had the opportunity to entertain both my children and grandchildren this weekend. And it gives you, obviously, always a little perspective on things, uh, seeing yourself in the role not only of father but grandfather. And I would ask our listeners, consider... Um, you know, which child are you more responsive to? The one who runs up to you and demands that piece of candy or that toy or gimme, whatever. Gimme. <laughs> yeah. Or the one who simply runs up to you and throws their arms up and just says, hold me. You know, um, you know, can I cuddle? Or And I have grandchildren like this who are lovely, wonderful, affectionate grandchildren. And they, they, you know, love to jump mm-hmm. into the arms of my wife or, or myself and just cuddle. <laughs> Praise and, God. <laughs> and think about, um, you know, God's own reaction to us. What is he looking for? Yes, he wants us to be his children and he wants us to acknowledge our need sometimes to be lifted up we have to we have to see ourselves in that way uh, and, and when we do then yes God does respond to us uh, because he knows uh, that one we are in a, a needy condition and two his infinite love his infinite mercy wants to pour itself out and fill that need you know for those of you there's a, a, a story about children here but I want to take this back up to our spiritual adulthood and say if you've ever laid awake at three o'clock in the morning and said to yourself, I don't know what God's doing messing with me. I'm such a, you know, a failure at trying to serve him or, you know, things just haven't worked out in my life. This is not uh, what I expected. It just doesn't seem to be the, the story I had created for myself or we may be struggling with life circumstances or with our relationship with God, but you all know this experience. I would tell you in that hour, you're probably right where God wants you. The question is, will you turn away in despair and say it's all just useless and meaningless? Or will you turn to God and say, yes, I acknowledge I can't do this on my own. You're my father. I need you. I need you to come and fill the void. I need you to pick me up. And redeem and do, my lost time. And redeem also the lost time, because I think that's another thing we as adults so often face, is this idea that, oh, I've wasted time. Oh, it's too late. I'm you know, so many years behind mm-hmm. uh, uh, water under the bridge, so to speak, and mm-hmm. we begin to have regrets about uh, decisions we've made and years that have passed and so on and so forth. Well, good news. God owns time. He controls time. <laughs> it's never too late. And he can redeem us and perfect us in a matter of minutes if he chooses to do that. Yes. More often, he wants us, as I said, to grow along with him and develop spiritually with his guidance and his help, but he wants us to participate. And God wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. So if we don't have an intimate relationship with God, where does the blame lay? Well, I think it lays with ourselves because we're not looking. We're, we're not uh, looking up to our Heavenly Father and um, returning his love because as Father Gabriel says, God's mercy offers us his divine friendship. But in justice, God cannot receive as an intimate friend anyone who retains the slightest attachment to sin and imperfection. Okay? As an intimate friend. You know, you can't be attached to sin and expect to be an intimate friend of the Lord. However, God subjects us to purifying trials for a twofold purpose. One, to make us atone for our faults, which is the aim of justice. And two, to destroy in us the last roots of sin that we may be disposed for union with God. So that's the aim of mercy, to have union with him, have this perfect relationship with God. So, you know, we, we do mess up and God knows that. But if we keep turning back to God, you know, that is 
that is huge. And so if we don't turn back to God, then we're turning to the idol um, or the the whatever is the sinful attachment. And then we are running from God. We're not turning to God. We think it should work out in a certain way, right? We get into difficult circumstances. You ask the question here, you know, how did we handle the last big trial? Yes. I can tell you, I didn't handle mine too well, <laughs> but that's <laughs> but all how right. did God handle it. Now uh, there's a bigger question. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it's fine. And again, um, that, that becomes our focus and we become discouraged, but well, gee, I didn't do very well in that trial. And God says, yeah, I know. I knew before it started. The question is, in the next big trial, what is our response going to be? We have to get to where we can accept Paul's writing in Ephesians, have no anxiety. I remember St. Augustine reflecting on that particular uh, verse in in, uh, some of his writings and saying, how can this be? You know, how can he say these things? Of course, that's where we ought to be. Have no anxiety about anything, but with prayer and supplication. Turn to the Lord. Seek his will. Know uh, that he wants the best for you in every circumstance. And, you know, let's not minimize it. Sometimes we are just going to be called to go through a difficult time, but it is not to destroy us. It is not to weaken us. It is not to make us something less than what we were. It is, in fact, to make us something more. It is to begin that process of transforming us into loving and merciful creatures ourselves. Yeah. And only by experiencing it can we know what it's like to then practice. Yeah, St. Teresa of Avila tells us if you don't go into the battle and fight, then what kind of warrior are you? You know, how do you expect to get stronger if you're not fighting the battle? Um, so, you know, we have to realize that the trials that God allows, permits, or wills for us, um, those trials are a great mercy of God for us. It's God's way of helping us to advance in the way of sanctity. Because, you know, I've asked a, a lot of the Carmelites in our community, you know, you know, where, where did you grow the most? Was it in times of favor and consolation or, or was it in times of suffering? And in, inevitably, you know, they hands down suffering. You've learned more um, about love and about God in suffering. I just want to qualify that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I would say I learned more about uh, love after I came through the suffering, <laughs> okay. I was able to look back and say, yes, I, I, I don't, um, my personal experience, maybe others have a different, but my personal experience is in the midst of the storm. You're in the we're, storm. <laughs> or, or more often than not saying, God, where are you and why is this happening? And so that's perfectly human and we should yeah. expect to experience that. But, mm-hmm. but once coming through that storm, then yes, we look back and we say, Okay, I understand. I, 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 and we may not even know how we've grown in love, but we'll see indications of it in our, in our uh, uh, response to the next great trial. Well, I'm so glad you pointed that out. And you know, the remedy for the evil of our times, whether it's in our own lives or for our current decade or, or for life as we know it, you know, mercy is the remedy to all of this sin. And as Father Gabriel, of St. Mary Magdalene tells us, he said, Assuredly, God hates sin, but although he is forced to withdraw his friendship, that is, his grace, from the soul of the sinner because of the offense, his mercy still finds a way of continuing to love him. So don't think just because you're a sinner that you're not loved. That's not the case. That would be a lie. His mercy still finds a way of continuing to love him. If he can no longer love him as a friend, God loves him as a creature, as the work of his hands. God loves him for the good that is still in him and which gives hope of his conversion. So God never gives up on us. You know, even should a mother forget you, I will never forget you. That's scripture. 
Yeah, you have some interesting thoughts here uh, that I, I want us to cover before we close out. Uh, and this is from Archbishop Fulton Sheen regarding um, this, um, you know, the connectedness of sin in the blood. It's an analogy that he used, which I think is very powerful uh, because it, it does help us, I think, to understand not only the severity of sin, but how deeply integrated sin is with our human experience, our our daily experience, and and why, you know, we've been talking now, Francis, for almost an hour about God's mercy and God's love. Why the need for it? Well, it, it is because of, as what you said uh, uh, earlier as well, the, the, the linkage between the ugliness of the sin in the world. You know, mm-hmm. why is there so much evil and darkness? Well, all we have to do is look at <clears throat> the crucified Christ from Good Friday just a few days ago to see how ugly sin is that God would allow his own son uh, to to carry that weight and that burden to the cross. We can't minimize uh, the significance of the evil and the darkness of sin. It is part of the human experience. But people do try to ignore it. They they try to say, oh, you know, it's not sin. I'm only sick. Or uh, it's not sin. Um, they rationalize it and, and find excuses for their guilt. So... Uh, Archbishop Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, "Lots of patience, few penitents." Yeah. Oh boy, he nailed that one. Yeah, lots of people in need of the remedy, but few who are willing to take on that remedy. What what uh, we just came through, of course, the Lenten season being that yeah. uh, one of the forms of remedy. But uh, he says some other things about this linkage to the blood. Okay, let's put this scripture passage in there. This is Hebrews 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. All right, so we're not just making this up. Yeah, and this is, of course, linked to the Old Testament sacrifice of the animal and then carried forward in Christ's sacrifice, the perfect lamb, um, the need for the shedding of blood. Right. And, you know, St. Therese said, my victory is always to run away from evil. But for the conversion of souls, there must be the sight of the precious blood flowing from our Lord's wounds. And this is to be the cordial bond that will heal all their sins. So she's saying exactly what scripture tells us. You know, there has to be the shedding of the blood before there can be forgiveness of sins. And hence, you know, we just went through the tritium and, you know, the passion of Christ. And there was the shedding of the blood. Well, before we close out, I want to end on this very high note um, with regard to God's mercy. You cite references here. What is the measure of God's mercy? Of course, we know there is no measure. There's no limit. Uh, uh, scripture tells us, Luke 6.36, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. And Matthew 7.2 tells us, With what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you again. Meaning, God's mercy is infinite. It, it has no limitations. We are invited to practice that same mercy. We didn't focus as much on this part of the message tonight, Francis, but um, when we continue this, we're going to talk about Pope uh, Francis's message of a church of mercy and the need that each of us as individual members of that church have to live out this same message of mercy and love. And I just want to end on this one thought because uh, I think it's important for us to, to ponder this and we'll pick this up again on what stops God's mercy. And it's pride. Father Gabriel said, God's mercy is so immense that no misery, however great, can exhaust it. Not even the most infamous sin, provided it is repented of. 
can halt it. This sad power is reserved to one thing only, the proud will of man, by which he disdainfully shuts himself up in his wickedness, not wishing to admit how great is his need of God's infinite mercy. So we are our worst enemy when it comes to that. So let's be humble and confident in God's love, his merciful love, stooping down to help us poor little weak ones that love him so much. And I have his closing prayer. It's from the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Please join me in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, Look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, a reminder, you've been listening to Radio Maria and Carmelite Conversations, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be back again next week, picking up, I think, on this same message of mercy. Until then, God bless. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.